Super Talk Mississippi media production. Fortofcorinth.com is having a 2023 inventory blowout sale. Check out all of last year's models in the lot, which must be moved. Bring your enthusiasm and your down payment. Let our team of finance professionals remove the test so you can just drive off our lot. Fortofcorinth.com. What is up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirators Colin Brister is here with me. We appreciate you listening wherever and whenever you may be listening on this fine Monday. Busy weekend for Ole Miss, both on the baseball field and the basketball court. Um, A lot to break down. Ole Miss loses a really close game at Arkansas and is now in a little more of a precarious position with regards to the NCAA tournament. Baseball gets a sweep over a Long Beach State team that has still yet to win a game, avoided kind of a little bit of an RPI hit um, in the second game. Uh, They played a doubleheader Saturday. We'll get to some combine stuff, maybe some random stuff at the end, just kind of general sports news, wherever the show may take us. So we appreciate you joining in. Colin, how are you? I'm good, man. How was Fayetteville? Um, I actually really like Fayetteville. Uh, It is one of underrated is one of my favorite places in the in the sec it's just so far away that it's like you get to little rock and you think okay i'm close and you're really not it's another three hours from there um and then there it was freezing cold there was apparently there was a snowstorm there coming like saturday night sunday morning so i got out of there at the right time but i really like fable dixon street is super underrated um, i ate at a steakhouse with richard cross and david kellum uh Oh, I ate at Doe's Eat Place on Dixon Street. It was really good. Um, great place, uh, fun city, and then of course, nobody punched a wall. No, 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 no one, no one, no one punched a wall this time. I was in a hotel, so that would have been even more dicey than 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 an Airbnb. <laughs> but we're we're all good. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a good trip. Um, a long drive back though. Saturday night, I had a lot of time to. I guess kind of digest what happened. Um, I guess we'll start there. I, without further ado, Ole Miss loses seventy-four to seventy-three. The second time in a week, they can't really get stops down the stretch. It costs them late, and they lost a game. They probably really like Tennessee. It would have been a, a good win for them, but that was a game on Saturday. You felt like you should have won. Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of felt like you should have won the Tennessee game too. But you're right at the in that aspect that Ole Miss is probably a better basketball team than Arkansas. Uh, you shoot. I, I can't exactly recall what Ole Miss shot, but it, they, they were fifty percent in the first half. I think they were close to that in the second. They just could not get stops down the stretch. Uh, Gafford goes for a big day. Ole Miss couldn't really do anything with him. Mason something shoots like seven of twelve from three. It was ridiculous. So yeah, it's like you said, Ole Miss couldn't. They had two opportunities. They had two chances. They were up three with under a minute left in both games last week and they could not close it out. And it kind of leaves them, like you said, in a little bit of a tough situation to finish out the year. So I guess we can go macro to micro in terms of the picture since you since you talk about them being in a precarious situation because on the surface I would agree, but when you look at the bubble and the teams behind them, are they really? Not really. Not like, and I know we, we spent you know a week saying, that, look, Ole Miss has to win one more game. Uh, to to feel really good, and I and while I think I I still stand by that to feel really good on Selection Sunday, Ole Miss needs to win a game. But Ole Miss also might have already done enough. The the bubble, like, like people don't understand, it is extremely weak. Uh, you have a team in Indiana who is sixteen and fifteen, 
We're talking about them being a possibility to make the NCAA tournament if they finish above 500, because you have to finish above 500 to make the tournament. That's how weak this bubble is. Ole Miss is not in trouble right now. You know, Jerry, Jerry Palm has a projected as a nine seed. Uh, that means there's at least 12 teams, according to him, behind them. And I think he's got them as, like, the number one nine seed, so maybe even closer to 14 or 15 teams behind them. Look, as long as there's not a bunch of bid stealers, I don't know if Ole Miss has to win another game. Like, yes, you don't want to finish the year 0-5. I get that. That being said, with, with kind of how things shook out this weekend, outside of you know UCF getting a big win at Houston, uh, Indiana getting a pretty big win against Michigan State, the bubble didn't really do much. Arizona State's currently losing to Oregon State as we record this. Um, you know, it's it's not a situation where if Ole Miss goes 0-2 this week, it's over. But I think one win just absolutely, you know, puts the nail in the coffin as far as tournament bids go. Yeah, if you look at, I have the net pulled up right here, and it's it's an interesting. It is. I'll just leave it at interesting because Ole Miss is sitting at thirty-seven. Yep. And they actually moved up a spot. They moved up four this week. And you look at teams behind them, it's St. Mary's, Syracuse, Clemson, Iowa, Oklahoma, Ohio State, TCU, Alabama's a ways behind them, Indiana's a, a few spots behind them. Point being, there's a few teams that are viewed as fairly solidly in the tournament, if not on the right side of the bubble behind them in the net. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of the thing that is going to help Ole Miss is, is they have a pretty high compared to most bubble teams' net. Uh, another thing that really helps well, Ole Miss has two really good marks on the resume. Having four Tier 1 wins is a good mark. Like, that, not a lot of teams have more than that when you talk about bubble conversation. I made a uh, spreadsheet today, actually, that uh, the only team regarding bubble talk that has more Tier one wins that Ole Miss is St. John's. They have six. Uh, Baylor has four. Ohio State has four. Seton Hall has four. And that's it. Uh, Ole Miss has four. And Ole Miss has zero bad losses. They have zero losses in the tier three and tier four category, which is huge because it doesn't drag your net down and it's just a good mark to have on your resume. So, like we kind of said, Ole Miss has some things working for it, even without getting that you know elusive win this week. And that's really – I know they changed metrics this year, but it seemed like even when they used RPI and other things in years past, it became more about who did you not lose to as opposed to who you beat. And I think that's the main thing Ole Miss has in its favor as opposed to its wins is they don't have any bad losses. Saturday may be as close to a bad loss as they have. Well, South Carolina is technically worse. Yeah, that's I forget about that. They're, that's not going to help their numbers. But – so they're what they're not, but they're th- it, what's more concerning is how they've played, particularly yeah. down the stretch of the season. And we'll transition into that in a second. But I, I think I think they're, the, where they're sitting is interesting because it feels like they're sinking. But with everything being so soft around them in terms of the bubble, they're not really sinking that much. And it's it was surprising to me. Like I'm not trying to spin this as a this is fine type of thing in terms of Ole Miss. I, I, that's not my my responsibility and that's not really what I'm trying to do. It's just interesting they you know, they go O and two and they don't really lose much ground. No, I mean well when you lose to 
a team that beats Kentucky by, I don't know, 20 yesterday. I can't remember the exact final score. Uh, and Arkansas is technically a Tier 1 loss. Like, I mean, you didn't lose bad games. You didn't lose to bad teams with Arkansas being at home. So, no, it's that this week isn't going to hurt you. Ole Miss at this point is just treading water. And, honestly, if they lose to Kentucky on Tuesday, they're still kind of just treading water. If you lose to Missouri and Kentucky at that point, you have to start considering you know, them sinking at that point. So, it, it, so it, you know, we've established that they're in a better position than maybe it feels like they are given the way the week went with two pretty crushing losses. The game itself... I think in my story I led with it was a turnover-riddled mess, and it was ugly. And it was ugly for a lot of reasons, but one of them being they were they turned the ball over in the half-court offense, which has really been uncharacteristic of them. They've been a pretty good team, particularly late in games. They had some crucial turnovers late. I think they had 10 turnovers in the second half. But really, down the stretch, they couldn't get stops defensively. And that was kind of the story of the entire week, is not being able to get stops in crunch time. And that's going to hurt them going forward in March, but I'm not sure there's a ton they can really do about it. Like, they just kind of are what they are as a defensive team. I mean, sure, they can improve, but, like, it, it just... I mean, if that's still happening at this frequency late in the year, like, it just kind of, you are what you are, right? I mean, are you not? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like uh, AK used to say your numbers are what they say you are. Um, it is kind of baffling why this team can't guard the perimeter. I understand, you know, I would understand getting, you know, abused down low, but the inability to guard the three-point line is, is just something that I, I can't really understand with this team. So I was just trying to look at the stats, and I was looking through – all of these stats, and I was like, man, I don't remember any of this, and I've spent the last 10 minutes looking at the women's team apparently played Arkansas this weekend, that, too. That's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's so good stuff. I'm sitting there going, I was like, there's no way Ole Miss turned it over twice in the second half. I watched for them in the first Good four God. minutes. Speaking of stats, I have Ole Miss's Ken Palm um, page pulled up here. Would you like to take a guess at what they're ranked in the country in three-point defense? There are 340 NCAA uh, teams. I'll give you that uh, caveat so you can take a guess. I'll say 310. Well, that's dang close. 308. Whew. That's not uh, – that will not get it done. No. No, and I, I don't know why, why – I mean, look, I'll just be honest. You're, you're, you're more uh, basketball savvy than me. Why can this team not guard the perimeter? Um, That's an interesting question to unpack. It's – so, Bree and Tyree, not a great defender. No. Terrence Davis, not a disciplined defender. Can be a decent defender on a possession. Like, on an on a, on a isolated possession, he can be a pretty good defender, but he doesn't play within structure well. Devontae Shuler, pretty good defender, but hobbled. Blake Henson yeah. lost a lot of the time. K.J. Buffin lost a lot of the time. So when teams start moving it, you know, to the second and third side of the floor and they get out of position, particularly in their zone, it leads to wide open shots. Like you, you were talking about, um, you were talking about, um, Jones going, so, uh, Mason Jones for Arkansas went seven of 10 from three and 
he was five threes deep. I think he was five of eight or five of seven at one point. And they're still losing him in transition and still losing him in the half court, just standing on the perimeter regularly. Yeah, it seems like that would be the guy that you pick up. And I know Isaiah Joe's a really good shooter, but for God's sakes, make somebody else make a play. Yeah, it's it's a there there there's a lot of there's a lot to why they guard the way they do and why they're so bad at guarding the perimeter because we had uh, I forget who we had on the radio show the other day they're actually they, they get abused sometimes when when guys catch it in the low post like that but they're not a terrible rim protecting team like and the no, numbers really back good. that up they're they're number sixty two in the country in two point defense. Which is weird because the post play is what is kind of seen as the de- the main deficiency with this team. I don't think that's accurate, though. I, you know, I, I it, so there's nuance to this too because when Gafford catches the ball in the low block against Dom, eight nine feet from the basket, it's not going to end well. But generally, like in terms of preventing guards getting to the rim and, and like that, like Dom is a decent rim protector in that regard. But, like, individually, he and Bruce are not great low-post defenders, so I think both can be true, no? Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But it's just so staggering to see, you know, Ole Miss number 62 in the country at two-point defense and 308 in three-point defense. So Ole Miss leads for most of this game. I mean, our yeah. Arkansas Arkansas takes – well, I can't – how, how many do Arkansas – like, they, most Arkansas, Arkansas – got about four at one point in the second half. But Ole Miss kind of controlled the game for the most part it felt like. They did, but they, the the lethargic starts to second halves is an issue, and it's literally happened every game, every single game for a month and a half. Well, it's start, it's happened every game in conference play. Essentially, yes, and it's so they they come out of the halftime locker room. What Ole Miss led thirty five thirty four at halftime, I believe, and it should have been more than that. It should have been more than a one point lead. Ole Miss gets in foul trouble down the stretch and, and plays horribly the last three minutes of the half. They turn it over four times in four minutes coming out of the halftime locker room, and I believe Arkansas jumps up like four or five at that point off of that. Something uh, like that, yeah. Yeah, so so Arkansas goes up three with by, yeah about four minutes in. So they go from down one to up three, and then Ole Miss is not playing catch-up, but like the game's kind of, kind of swung a little bit. And then it was just kind of a back-and-forth, I don't want to call it a, this fight it was more a pillow fight than that but it was no team was either really able to create separation Ole Miss leads really for the entire last five minutes of the game and then so they get up 73 to 70 on a, a mid-range jumper that Bree and Tyree made a really tough shot and so those last two of the last three possessions like that last minute and a half were everything that makes Bree and Tyree great and I think everything that makes him frustrating too because they're not in that game without him he makes with a just over a minute left he makes a really contested mid-range shot that he banks off the glass um just off the right elbow kind of in between the right elbow and the right baseline like a really contested just really hard shot that a really good player makes and you're sitting there thinking wow that's a huge shot and then of course Ole Miss gives up a a lob to Gafford on the other end so it's 73-72 so now 30-something seconds left, biggest possession of the game. Tyree turns the ball over. There's a mad scrum for it on the floor. It ends up being a jump ball, and Arkansas has the arrow. So, like, you go from he makes a really contested, really tough shot that that puts him in a great position to win. They're up 73-70 with a minute left to an abject disaster one trip later. Yeah, and he's trying to split two defenders. and Yeah, it just – 
that last possession probably gives him nightmares. You know, Brian had a tough week. Um, yeah, it's just just crazy an ending, and then Ole Miss on the last possession. I, we'll get into it. Good God, that that can't happen. So, so I guess we'll just go straight to the last two possessions. So Tyree or last three, Tyree turns it over, and the yeah. turnover was weird. I haven't gone back and rewatched it, but. He's at the top of the key, and like he thinks about driving but doesn't really commit to it. Whoever, I don't know if it was Terrence Davis or it was Shuler standing on the right ring, whoever would, one it was, their defender kind of slides in to help cut off the drive. And Tyree is like, tries to kick it to whoever's standing on the right wing. Let's just say for the sake of it, it is Terrence Davis. And tries, and it either went off the like the like one of the defender's knee and Tyree fumbles it a little bit, and you just, you have to be stronger with the ball there. And you have yep. to be more decisive because he kind of gets caught two dribbles in between no one's land, no man's land. So you're either going to dribble, or you're either going to drive it all the way to the rim, or pull up, or you have to take one dribble and move and, and reverse the ball. And so that doesn't happen. And then so Arkansas gets it and calls timeout, and they draw up an action that was like kind of a diagonal cut screen to get Gafford the ball on the right block. And Ole Miss actually defended that part they of the action well. pretty well. Dom gets over it. He gets in decent position. Whoever. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but whoever it was helped on him. So they have a double team, and they, they can't get the entry pass to Gafford, which is where Arkansas wanted to go with the ball. So they reverse it to the just right at the top of the key. Jalen Harris has it, but he has a wide-open driving lane. And it looked like Terrence Davis and Schuler just stopped defending for a second. I, I it, it, it was weird. I don't know what you saw from your vantage point, but it was like neither one of them knew which like where to commit to. And he's just standing there with a wide-open driving lane. Yeah, it, it looked like there was lack of communication there. They didn't. There's really no help defense. It, it was bad. Um, and, you know, if Ole Miss misses the tournament, you'll look back at, at that play right there because Ole Miss had, for the they had a, they had defended the initial read, and they just I guess it was a lack of communication. I don't know what it was, but Ole Miss gives up the, uh, the in a wide open driving lane where the guy just makes it was a. Uh, an average college player makes that shot every time. It was it wasn't a wide open layup, but I will give him yeah. more credit than that. It was a tough shot because he he has a wide open driving lane. Dom steps in to protect it, and he lobs the ball over Dom yeah, and kisses did. it off the top part of the glass. It was a tough shot. Give the kid credit, but it was bad defense. Oh, it was. I mean. And yeah. Dom, Dom doesn't want a foul there. The kid throws it up high enough to where Dom can't really block it. So. From that point, there's not a whole lot Dom can do. He's the last. No, he's the last line there, and so the kid makes it 74-73. Ole Miss has one more chance with five five point nine seconds left, and this is where it really just kind of got ugly. So and Ole Miss, they inbound it to Dominic Olenichek. So the actual idea of the play, I, I don't necessarily have an issue with because just about every single college basketball team in the country runs some version of it to where sure. w- whatever guard you have with the hot hand is going to be denied the entry pass. So to yep. alleviate the pressure, you throw it to a big who in turn immediately hands the ball off to the cutting guard to get his momentum going towards the going towards your basket instead of towards the inbounds, uh, like the, the baseline. But the problem with it was they had Tyree inbound the basketball and they had Dom catch the ball so deep in the backcourt that there wasn't enough space. Dom could not get him the ball. Yeah, so that that's right. So Kermit Davis kind I mean not kind of he threw Dom under the bus after the game. Yeah, he said he said I've never had a, a guy give him the ball. Well Kermit he couldn't give him the ball. There was a defender there. He said we run it he said we've run it for a long time. He Kermit Davis said I 
you know, we, we've run it for a long time, and for whatever reason, my big center doesn't hand the ball off. And then he later said it's the first time in a long time, or first time in history that the guys never handed the ball. But the thing is, Harris is in between, like, so, hey, the Arkansas, Arkansas, Arkansas knew it was coming. Be- because they put Harris on Tyree for that reason that he was not going to catch the ball, and as soon as, as soon as Tyree throws the inbounds pass to Owen Echek, Harris jumps into great position to where he's on Tyree's hip and he's wedged in between him and Owen Echek to where a handoff isn't really possible. Like Ty- I mean, Owen Echek could have led uh, Tyree with a little like floater pass up the floor, but you really want your seven foot center throwing kind of a touch pass up like up the floor as he races for your last shot, like. It's just kind of asking, like, I, I get the idea, I really do, but can you not do that with Buffin or Henson? Like, you're asking Dom to do something that I, quite frankly, I'm not sure how comfortable he's doing, and it sounds like they've run it a ton in practice, practice but but still the optics do not look great. No, uh, inbounding the ball to Dominic Olenicek, 70 feet from the basket, does not look great. And like you said, you, you, you get what the, the plan was, but... Man, it looks bad. Because cause uh, there wasn't enough time left for, you know, any anything else. Like, once that was cut off, well, this was screwed. You would have thought that would have been an okay play to run with, you know, maybe nine or ten seconds. But once they cut that initial handoff off, you're kind of done. Like, Dom had nowhere to go with the basketball. And see, that's the, that's the other thing I don't understand about the play is I'm, I'm, I'm watching it right here because I videoed the last play. And they're usually if that if the handoff is not there off the – in, off the inbounds pass, there's a second option. But everyone else had raced up the floor, so whenever the Harris denies the handoff, Dom is literally by himself, and there's no one, if you discount Tyree, there's literally no one within 20 feet of Dom. There are two people on the opposing wings, like on Ole Miss's, on Ole Miss's end of the floor on the wing on the three-point line, and then I think that Shuler standing about half court on the right side, there's no one near him. It's like it's, If that pass, if you can't make the handoff, it's over. Yeah, which makes no sense. Like, I, I don't – it's just – it's kind of hard to fathom. Ole Miss has had two chances at game-winning shots the uh, past two games with about five and a half seconds left, and neither time they got a, a good look. Well, neither, neither time they got a shot. Yeah, and so I, I really – like, what was – I kind—I mean, not the first or the last time, but I kind of looked like an idiot, and immediately some guy on, on Twitter asked me, why was Dom in the game? Why not put five shooters in? I'm, I'm not sure about that last part. But I said, I'm not sure. I imagine the draw-up did not involve him catching it 70 feet from the rim, but it did. And so what the reason, like, like when Kermit explained it in the post-game press conference, I was like, oh, this makes sense. It was a handback or whatever. But he caught it so deep, and Tyree ran so wide that it almost, like, like, like watching it the first time, I couldn't even necessarily tell initially what they were trying to do. It was so poorly run. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it did not look good. To, uh, to not be able to, you can't even get the ball past half court, and the clock runs out. It was uh, it was definitely a tough one to swallow if you're losing on that play. Yeah, and the place went like the that place actually got pretty loud. They didn't fill it up, but the crowd filled in okay. They were honoring the national championship team at halftime, so it was a decent crowd. I thought it was loud. I thought the crowd kind of willed Arkansas a little bit in the second half because that team didn't have anything to play for. I thought they'd kind of fired their last bullet. Bud Walton Arena is gigantic. I never yeah. that was my first time there. It is enormous. Yeah, it's it's a really nice arena. Eighteen thousand seats. Eighteen thousand for a college really? basketball arena. Yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. I mean you're talking like 
Cameron in the Deem Dome or somewhere in the realm of 8 to 12, with Cameron obviously being on the smaller end, but 18,000 seats. Good Lord. Is Rupp bigger than that? Um, I can look it up right now, actually. Rupp Arena. Surely it is. I don't know. I mean, you're talking about 18,000. That's like, that's pretty, pretty large from a, uh, yeah, 23,500. That's a big okay. gym, though. Anyway, so Ole Miss loses another, his second close game in a week. You, This team's been pretty resilient for most of the year, but I feel the need to remind everyone it's the same group that kind of crumbled when things didn't go their way a few times on the road last year. And I'm not necessarily suggesting there will, but you do have to wonder if it takes a bit of a mental toll on them. Maybe. But last year, it, Ole Miss had dropped those. And that, that's, that's kind of what's different this year. Ole Miss dropped those non-conference games that once they kind of screwed up in conference play the season, and for all intents and purposes, it was over. Like, there was not going to be an NCAA tournament first after probably the loss to Texas A&M. They still got something to play for here, so you wonder if yes, yes, losing those two games in the way they lost it. I'm uh, not suggesting they'll quit. I just meant if they get in another one of these Tuesday or Saturday. Yeah, I mean that's fair. Because um, honestly, has almost won a close game. I guess Auburn, but outside of that, their their wins have stayed been in of, Starkville. But it was nothing they did. Schuler missed good. a free throw, and they just kind of survived. They gave up a. Do remember they gave up a terrible three on an out under that actually tied the game? Yeah, uh, Georgia was close, but that was more luck than anything else. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess I'm kind of incorrect. They won a few close games. Georgia A and M was close. Uh, but when it's come down, and you talk, if I'm, I'm, if we're talking single possession games in the last minute, they've the ones they have won. They've just kind of survived as opposed to make any kind of play to win the yeah. game. And I'm not discrediting the wins; they could put they themselves in that position. Games, but they don't they close games well. Games with a three point lead under a minute, they lost Florida. They lost Tennessee. They lost Arkansas. I mean, that at some point you wonder if you're right that that does become mental. And it seems bizarre that that would be the case, given like the strength of their backcourt and the way they take care of the ball. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's crazy because you know if if you just win one of those, it's a whole different conversation. I'm sure. You know, looking back at it, the Arkansas, it, it, Tennessee, and Arkansas, you kind of think did everything you could do. The Florida game has to be the one that they kick themselves, that the Kermit kicks himself over because if they foul, they they win the game. I would argue yeah. it's this in Florida because they really just threw up on themselves in this one. They had their three-point lead against a bad team with a minute left. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I guess the Florida one just bothers me because I've always been a proponent of, I don't understand, and not to get off the rails too much here, I don't understand under any circumstance not fouling. Like I watched the team do it today. I don't understand ever not fouling under eight seconds left with a three-point lead. Well, I think that's kind of what Kermit was battling in that one, as he said he always does it under eight, but there was like twelve or eleven or twelve or something, which seems like semantics, but he just kind of froze in the moment on that one. But all in all, spinning it forward, the season, you know, the, the final week of the regular season is here, which is kind of crazy. It's gone by pretty quickly, but Kentucky on Tuesday night, followed by a road game at Missouri. Obviously, Ole Miss can end all of this in, in any sort of stress of the win on Tuesday night. Um. Not sure exactly how likely that is, although Kentucky got popped at... Well, Kim Palm says they have a 34% chance to win on Tuesday. 
that seems about right. I mean, that's a puncher's chance. So, seventy-two, sixty-eight, Kentucky. And then Saturday. I mean, if you go in nine and eight into the final game against Missouri, and we talk, we just rehashed how weak the bubble is, and them maybe not necessarily having to do anything. But I don't think that's a position they want to be in. But now that's kind of what they're facing. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously you have the chance on Tuesday night, and I think. If Ole Miss plays as well as they did against Tennessee, they'll be in the game again. Because, um, you know, and you may not agree with me here, I think Tennessee all in all is a better team than Kentucky. Um, when both teams are playing well, I'll take Tennessee. But in saying that, um, yeah, I mean, you got to to feel 100% safe on flex and something. You're going to have to win one of these games. And that was the case last week. You just had to win one, and it's still the case. The, the case. just got to win one. And you're gonna feel fine on selection Sunday, um, but they're running out of top. So, switching gears, we'll have a whole lot more on that later this week as we kind of get into the week with the game Tuesday night and kind of what it looks like after that. Switching gears to baseball, Ole Miss sweeps Long Beach State. I will admit, I watched. So, I was driving over for most of the game Friday night to Fayetteville and was driving back for the second game Saturday, was working during most of the first game Saturday. So I caught all in all about nine outs of this. So I will let you take the lead on this one. Um, you know, there's not not really a ton to gather from the weekend. Will Etheridge was good in his three innings. Zach Phillips was had his best outing of his career. Gunnar Hogland had the best outing of his career. Now look, Long Beach can't hit. Um, Mike Yanko said that he thought this was the best Long Beach had hit all year and that if they were a better baseball team than the record shows, I of course he did. So. <laughs> but look, Ole Miss still has issues. I don't know how much of their issues they cleared up this weekend. Parker Crisey had a really bad outing on Saturday. Doug McKaysey had a bad outing on Saturday. Um, Houston Roth is still dealing with that injury. Um, you know, it's, it's I don't, again, I don't know how much they fixed up this weekend. Look, the offense is going to play. It plays. I thought the offense was good again this weekend. Uh, again, now I will say I think this is the best pitching staff they've faced all year. Uh, Long Beach can really pitch it. But in saying that, Ole Miss still has issues in that bullpen. It was nice to see uh, from an Ole Miss perspective Will Etheridge back on the mound uh, and feeling like he did. Nice to see Zach Phillips and Gunnar Hago give Ole Miss some length. That really helped them out. So while you, you know there's still some concerns over the start or over the uh, pitching. You get better outings from Hogland and Phillips, and maybe that's uh, something to catapult them forward in the next weekend. So, you know, it, Friday was what it was, it seemed like. You knew what you were going to get out of Etheridge. They win the game. I got mixed reviews on what Zach Phillips did on Saturday. I thought he was good. I, I thought, you know, look, the velocity still not what it needs to be. Um, I thought he threw strikes. He made Long Beach work. And, look, Long Beach, again, they suck. They can't hit. Um, but I thought Phillips, it was by far his best outing of his career. He gives up, I think, six base runners over five innings. He'll take that every time. Two earned so, runs, four hits, five strikeouts, two walks with a double. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it's a lot better than what it was, um, you know, the, the game at Tulane and surely the game at Wright State. He gives them some length. He lets some uh, Connor Green get, get hands the ball to Connor Green, I believe. And, look, Ole Miss, that kid needed some positives, and I thought he was better this weekend. I think he gets another start against UAB um, just simply because I don't know who else they would go to at this point with Houston Ross still kind of dealing with that injury. Douglas Nikhazy 
is who they would probably go to well, if it came to it, no? He did not pitch well this weekend either. Still, from a sample size and a stuff standpoint, I'm just saying, like, if it did, like, you know, somebody gets hit by a bus tomorrow, God forbid, like, that's, I mean, isn't that it with with, with Roth where it is? I mean, it has to be Nikhazy, right? I'm not well, suggesting I, they make I, a change. I, I get what you're saying. Um, I do wonder, and, and we talked about this a little bit last week, I do wonder with uh, Caleb Hill and, and Max Chofi not pitching this weekend, I think those are going to be their midweek guys this week is Hill and Chofi. I wonder if Chofi's in line to maybe get, because I think his stuff plays as a starter as well. Um, but I think you're right. I think Chofi and Nikhazy would be the next guys up as far as, from a starting perspective. But if Mike had to pick between Nikhazy and Maxwell Antonio Chofi, which one is he keeping in the pen? I would lean that he would probably want to keep Chofi in the pen, but I don't disagree that he his stuff plays as a starter. Like I, I don't I don't disagree with that at all. But if he's picking between the two, isn't Mike Bianco probably going to Casey? I I get what you're saying. Here's here's where I'm gonna push back a little bit. If you do that, you take the left-handed options out of your bullpen outside of Caleb Hill. Uh, because that we is kind fair. of established it, it, it. Jordan Fowler's not where he needs to be right now to get people out. And I think that's something, because Mike mentioned that in, in his, pro, in his uh, preseason press conferences. They didn't have anybody that threw their left hand that was able to get people out last year out of the bullpen with Rolla starting. I think that's something like Mike uh, enjoys is being able to have that luxury this year with Casey back there as a left-handed starter. Well, it was Fowler, wasn't it? That was their only left-handed option last year. Yeah, and you know he's starting midweek, so he's not available on a lot of the weekend. So, Connor Green with two more innings of hitless baseball, he is becoming not anywhere. Like I'm not comparing the two stories, but he's kind of becoming the Parker Caracy of last year in the well, sense that Mike keeps feeding him like bigger and bigger portions and more and more significant actions, and he keeps being able to digest it, and he doesn't like he's reacted well to pretty much all of it. Yeah, him and Austin Miller both have been phenomenal for Ole Miss this year. Uh, and Ole Miss has needed them both. So, yeah, you know, it's two guys that have been in the program a little while that maybe didn't have the success they had hoped at first that uh, have come on as seniors, and, and Ole Miss is going to need them to continue to have that success when, you know, they're trying to figure out all these bullpen roles. I think Mike probably knew from the fall on that Miller was going to be a pretty significant contributor out of the pen for them. I don't think he necessarily could have foreseen this coming from Green because Green's a really interesting story. I mean, he's a guy who had a huge role as a freshman out of the bullpen, kind of lost, you know, had some control issues. Stuff was never really an issue, wasn't ever kind of a blow it by you guy, always had decent stuff. Command issues his sophomore, junior year, really just kind of falls out of any significant role. I think he had 12 appearances at a sophomore, nine as a junior, none of which I would call significant no. situations. And then he comes, and then now he's having this kind of, like revive i don't even know the right word to describe it but like renaissance as a senior so you you've, you've kind of seen guys like come on late in their careers but I, like it, it's you've never really seen kind of go to the mountaintop fall down and come back like you have from green yeah usually those guys transfer right so, uh, or get cut uh, yeah or, or aren't there right um but yeah it's been it's been interesting it's been a cool story to watch to see him be able to get out I don't think he's given up a run this year. So, yeah, uh, going forward, he's going to be one of the first arms that Ole Miss calls out of on a, in a tight situation as we get closer and closer to SEC play. So it's a guy that, that, that was so 
I don't want to make it sound like desperate, but he was he was struggling so badly he changed his arm slots. He'd always been kind of a three-quarter guy, but he changes to a side armor. And he admitted, you know, after the fact that he wasn't always necessarily comfortable with that, but like that's the links he's gone to to try to make this right. I contended I never I, I might suggest this to him next week. I contended he might just well like he should drop out of the sidearm for one pitch every now and then just to screw with somebody. Yeah, but uh you know, you don't you don't, you don't want to screw up what you got going too. Uh but no, I know you're kidding. Yeah, it's it's funny because he dropped it cuz he was that's the thing people forget is he was a free a freshman All-American. Uh, he was one of the most counted on arms in that 2016 uh team out of the bullpen. And he loses command. He drops down. He can't find it down there. Um, I don't even. I can't remember if he was on the postseason roster or not last year. So yeah, it's, it's been interesting to watch. You know him be him be able to find it, and it's a cool story because, like we said, most of those guys get cut or they transfer or they do something else. He stuck it out, uh, and it's benefited you know him and the whole mess. Um, as you mentioned, the offense continues to hit well. Thomas Dillard, you know, over four day in the in the fir- in the second game, follows it with a walk off. Um, Shout out that Long Beach coach for uh, pitching to him on a three zero count. Yeah, with but with what no one on base, like what it, what what do you do? Put him on, man. Do, yeah, like I, I don't understand. You ever like, seen anybody hit a home run from first base? Yeah, I mean, like I, I just like, do you have television? I don't under like I what what. Well, like, I, I kind of said that on Friday. Like uh, Dillard came up. In the first inning, and Ole Miss had a guy on third and two outs, and there was nobody on first and second. And they pitched to him, and guess what he did? He hit a ball into the gap, and Ole Miss took a one to nothing lead. I was like, does Ole Beach not get the internet? You know, like, like don't pitch to the guy that's hitting 500 with a base open. Yeah, so, you know, Dillard's a fantastic cleanup hitter, right? Oh, good God almighty. Yeah, Ole Miss sitting there, uh, in the in the third game, it was it was really spectacular. Ole Miss hit their 500 hitter and their 480 hitter in the four and five hole. So, well, Joe, I'm talking to Chase Parr on Friday on 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 their show. He brought up an interesting point to get Ke- Gray Kessinger going. Do you think it would be a good idea to move him out of the leadoff spot and kind of get him some protection so he can get going? Because I, you know, I I do agree with the fact that I don't think him hitting leadoff is helping him out any. No, it's not helping him out. I will agree there. I also, look, I don't think Gray is as bad as his numbers are right now. I would he's agree a, with that. He, he's got a two eleven batting average on balls in play. That's not going to continue. I think Gray's hitting like two fifty now. He had a decent weekend. He had two hits on Friday. I can't really remember what he did on Saturday. But, look, I think Gray is going to be just fine. Maybe you move him down just a little bit. But my issue with moving him around is you're telling him that the at-bats he's having aren't what you want. And I kind of disagree with that sentiment. I think Gray is just fine. The balls just aren't finding holes. It's kind of like Will Golson last year. I thought Will Golson was really good at the plate the whole year, and his average was about 220 in the middle of March. That guy couldn't so, catch a break to save his life in the first month and a half though. of the season. I, I agree. So I, I don't know if – I don't know how comfortable I would be moving him around because that's saying what you're doing is not good enough, and, and I would disagree wholeheartedly with that. Yeah, it is nitpicking given the way the the offense is producing, but I, I said this on Friday as well, and it's kind of interesting. This team is like I, – I, I say this as if Mike is fighting it, but this team is kind of like making Mike Bianco fight like 
his traditionalist self in some senses, is he not? Like, Gray is his prototypical leadoff hitter. Like, Dillard is his, like, perfect traditionalist cleanup hitter. But they would probably be better served elsewhere, particularly the latter. Maybe not necessarily Gray, no? It's funny. I don't think Mike is going to stray too far from his uh, traditionalist. Oh, he's not. He's not. But Because I watched Ole Miss yesterday, and it about made me lose my mind because I'm a sabermetric uh, as they come. Ole Miss was down two runs yesterday in the eighth inning with first and second. They got six outs left. They're trailing by two, and Ole Miss decides they need, they're going to need to bunt to try to get guys in scoring. Because they gave an out up. Uh, they gave they had six outs left, and they gave one up down two runs to get guys in scoring position. This will shock you. The bunt did not work because bunting is stupid. Lay um, one down for the team, man. Name on the front's a lot more yeah, important well, than he, the one he on the back. They threw the ball to third base. I can't even say that with out. a straight face. God, it's the dumbest thing. Like, uh, I sat by a guy on Saturday. was like, we don't sacrifice not bun enough. I'm like, Jesus Christ, do you realize how stupid sacrifice bunting is? Anyways, that guy's not- also probably the one yelling, like, put one in his ear hole anytime somebody looks at a pitcher the wrong way. But. <laughs> Anyway, oh, traditionalist baseball is the best. Yeah. Um. So, I guess moving on, really one of our last topics of discussion is that DK Metcalf kind of showed what I think most people who covered him locally thought would happen for a long time, given his health. Like I remember, we'd been saying this since he got hurt. If DK Metcalf can get himself healthy by the combine, he is going to test off of the charts and make people's jaw drop. I will say, as, as, as I said that over and over again, I'm, I'm, this, it's not some like take I was squatting on. It was fairly obvious, but the reaction to how he's tested has even exceeded what I thought the reaction would be. Yeah, I mean, you run a 4-3-3 and look like that. Um, Skip Bayless <laughs> tweeted about him. That's, that's really when I was like, okay, this is... like th- yeah, this- I expected in the 4-4s, not 4-3s. Good God! He ran so he he ran a four three three. He set a record for bench pressing. He had twenty seven reps. He what what else do you do you have it with you? Like what? Else? I do not. I do not. I just and I'll be honest. I'm not a uh, NFL combine person at all. But it was hard to ignore with uh, everything on Twitter yesterday. I mean, it, it it was just an absurd day, and he made himself a lot of money. Yeah, so 40, 40 and a half inch vertical, 4.33, 40 times. The, the 1% body fat, not to be the well actually guy, but I've read like stuff from a couple like actual like medical doctors. That can't, that's not accurate. Like you, apparently if you get under like two and a half percent, you're well, right. DK said it was 1.9. See, I, I, I think to have a no, normally functioning. Like, people have said that's not healthy. I get it. I think that's a little exaggerated. I'm not trying to knock the kid at all. Like, don't take it as that. He's a freak. But, like, I feel like some of these guys at the Combine sometimes, like, take one number, like, either first or second hand, and that just be kind of becomes the narrative, no matter how, like, actually accurate it is. And I'm not talking about 40 time or anything like that. I'm talking about, like, the weird measurements they do. Like, I, what, what, so I don't, what I don't understand, like, they measure wingspan and stuff. What is it? What, what do you need to know a, a quarterback's wingspan for? Yeah, fair enough. Recording quarterback. Like they just they 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 just measure stuff to measure stuff sometimes at the combine. Like I wonder what happened. Like I'd probably stick out like a sore thumb. But if I go in there as one of those evaluators and just started measuring people's like ears and tongues, like I don't think anybody would question it. <laughs> like 
you, like uh, how how far people's ears are apart. Yeah, just be like, here. Let me stick out that tongue, son. Like, let me see. Let me see what the reach is on that. Or like, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh no, that's normal. Is one ear is one ear higher than the other? Let me see because that could really knock you into the second round. Anyway, Metcalf has a fantastic day. Um, I think Demarcus Lodge helped himself out, and I think one of the quiet, more quieter under under undersold aspects of it was I saw a couple of guys that I'm not sure where he's going to get drafted or gets drafted at all. I think Jordan Tamu helped himself out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Tamu had a – I thought Tamu was good for Ole Miss this year for uh, what they tried to ask him to do. He's a tall guy. He's got a pretty good arm, throws a really good deep ball. Uh, Would they actually get him in an offense that has, you know, cops an offensive coordinator? Or as Matt Crowell put it, reads defenses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I need to stop being mean to Phil Longo. But, yeah, I think – Thomas got a chance to be, you know, play his way into a backup role for a team, and maybe you know, if everything falls right, be a starter for somebody. I think there is enough arm talent there to where he could find work as a backup if things broke his way. He's a poised guy; he doesn't get rattled by too much. He's mobile enough, obviously not 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 a runner by trade, but I don't know. I mean, he they, they he used his feet more than he did at the end of uh, 2017. It, he did this year, so I mean, willing enough, mobile enough kind of calm in the pocket. Obviously, he had a much much better po- pocket presence than his predecessor. Um, yeah, which was not. Right. So, maybe Fon's work as a backup. I think another hidden... Honestly, I, it, Metcalf and Brown are the stories, but I think if you're an evaluator, and I've seen a couple of people put this out different places, like evaluator guys, draft guys, whether it be Twitter or somewhere else, The I think the real travesty out of Longo's offense is the like how he just hid Dawson Knox. Didn't exist, and yeah, it feels like he got to Indianapolis, and everybody's like, "Well, who is like, where did this kid come from?" Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, he, the kid's a physical specimen, and Ole Miss did not use him at all because Longo did not, you know, incorporate crossing routes in his offense. If you are Phil Longo, like, and you see what's going on in Indianapolis this week, like, what are you doing? And uh, I, I was talking Probably to Michael, getting a lawyer, so that when they arrest you for impersonating a football coach, you're prepared. And like I, I was talking to, uh, I think I was texting back and forth with Borky on on Friday or Saturday, and we were, I just lost my train of thought, but we were talking about some of this, and it's just kind of like, like it really was criminal. Some of the stuff that, like, like they they like they're learn, they don't really run routes. Like it's it's just the I, I didn't get the offense. And then and then what we were talking about, I, I just remembered. So what we were talking about was. Mac Brown just hired that guy to be his offensive coordinator in North Carolina. Like, did they do the Bowling Green thing where they Googled offensive numbers and we're like, we point, we want that guy, whoever that guy is? <laughs> you saw like that story, right? Where, what, what, what was that story? Do you remember that Bowling Green? What, do you know what I'm talking about? I can't say that I do. Oh, you're going to love this. So Bowling Green, I believe the school it was, fired their football coach, um... Let me pull this up so I have it right. So, but anyway, so what? Like, isn't that all you need to know about Mac Brown? Like that, how that how that tenure is going to go? <laughs> like, yes, Mac Brown is hiring an offensive coordinator that could not score on SEC defenses with conservatively six guys that are going to be drafted by the NFL. Six guys. You had what? Three receivers that are going to get drafted: a tight end and a left tackle, and maybe a quarterback. Yeah. And a running back that's doing okay for the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. Well, oh, God. And, and it wouldn't shock me if Javon Patterson gets a late-round draft pick. I mean, Jesus Christ. 
So Bowling Green, when hiring their football coach in December of 2015, Googled nation's best offense, and it came up as Texas Tech that year under Kingsbury, so they targeted the top Texas Tech assistant available and made the hire based off of that. Not kidding. I like that. Let's see how that uh Let's see how that works. Well, do you think Mac Brown did the same thing? Like, may, like Mac Brown strikes me as a guy that's maybe a little behind on internet. So when someone like yeah, showed him the Google saying. search bar, he was like, "Oh, I can find any kind of information here." And then like was like, "Oh man." Do you think Mac Brown knows how to use the internet? I, I think he. If, I think that's how he found Longo. That's the only explanation that I'm going to accept. <laughs> Unless Longo sent him some of the, his 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 patented graphics. Uh, <laughs> we're getting a little too far off. Okay. Hold on, hold on. I have uh, I have the Bowling Green coach that they uh, that they uh, hired. Okay. His name is Mike Jinks. My man Mike Jinks went seven and twenty four in two and a half years, and they fired him. Um. So does Mike Jinks have to give part of his salary to Google or Bing or whatever search engine? <laughs> like, how does how does that work? Mike Jinks was the running back coach. No, uh, yeah, he was the running backs coach at Texas Tech. Because he was calling all those plays that made up that successful offense. So for whoever's listening out there, when you look at these people and you think, wow, they get paid millions and millions of dollars to make very drastic decisions, it's not always as intricate a process as you think. Sometimes it's as simple as a Google search. <laughs> the SEO skills will help you out. Anything else in the sports world happened over the weekend significant? The Lakers, it's it's over. I don't want to talk about it. So, I won't talk about it. I'm sorry, but the, I can't help it. The hypocrisy of LeBron James is hilarious to Ole Miss, me. Or not Ole Miss. The Lakers need to cut LeBron James. Trade him. He's going to make you worse. He, he ruins every place that he leaves. It, it, it's he not holds franchises hostages. And they're going to fire Luke Walton at the end of the season. And guess who's not going to have any trouble getting work anywhere? Luke Walton. He's a good coach. See, that's what—that's the misconception about all this. The Lakers were a 35-win team last year, and people kind of, you, you scoff at that. But that young core was playing very well. And that yeah, young core, for the most part, has played really well this year. The problem is not the young guys. The guys they signed in free agency, the rand, you remember the random signings they made this summer where they were like KCP, yeah, yeah, Lance Stevenson, Rondo? Those guys have sucked. They have been terrible. Rondo has been okay for stretches, but I think he's taking minutes from Lonzo Ball, or at least he was earlier in the year, and it hasn't helped things. But, like, Lance Stevenson sucked. Like, KCP has sucked. Like, JaVale McGee has been okay, but, like, their, like, logic for, like, signing the people they signed in free agency, and, like, like, it just never made any sense, and now you're seeing it blow up because it's not the young guys at all. No, no, it's LeBron James not giving effort on the defensive end. Everybody will point to the stat line. Oh, he got a triple double when the homeboy's just running by him on the defensive end because he doesn't care, but he kind of negates it. And it's not uh, just—it's not just him doing that. It's him doing that and then questioning the like everyone else's commitment to basketball when he's got a, a rap album coming out. He's promoting Space Jam Two. He's got all kinds of things going on, and he's like a- asking him the basketball is the most important thing in their life. Three weeks after he tried to get rid of half the roster. If it was if I wasn't a Lakers fan, I would cry. Um, but but yeah, so, so now they put themselves not to go too far down the NBA rabbit hole because we are running long here. But it, it's a fascinating situation to me because they've now put themselves in a position where you've seen guys that don't want to go play with LeBron, whether it's Paul George, you know, whether it's Kawhi that was kind of like, yeah, I don't know about that. If they don't get Anthony Davis, there's no backup plan. No, you trade LeBron James at that point. 
Have you thought about how crazy that would be trading LeBron James? But I think they would have to. Do I it. think they would have to consider it. I, I really, I know that sounds nuts, but what are you going to do? So, so if, if they don't get Anthony Davis, if Anthony Davis goes to Boston. I mean, do you try to get like a Bradley Beal or a Kimba Walker? Because that's what LeBron needs is a shot-making guard. But, yeah, that's what won in the title with Kyrie. But are you going to But are you gonna max Kimba Walker? I mean, Bradley Beal's definitely worth maxing. He's a great player. But are they going to come there? Like that That's semantics. The point being, it's a fascinating situation because of all the buildup and everything that they've done to this point. If they don't get Anthony Davis, there's no other, like there's no backup plan. It's well, it. That's it. I mean, I think they wind up getting AD, but that's not even guaranteed to work. Like we've seen that 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 story before, just go up in flames. So yeah, it's cra- It's going to be interesting to follow if you're not a Lakers fan. If you're a Lakers fan, it's just going to make you want to cry um, because I don't think that LeBron James is going to get this franchise back to where it should be. Honestly, and I appreciate like everything the Warriors have done, and that that title run has been just insane, but. For the sake of the NBA and making the NBA fun, I hope the Lakers get Anthony Davis. I hope Kevin Durant goes to New York, and I hope you return to like the pre-Kevin Durant Warriors because those teams are fun. It's a more even playing field. You would now have them, L.A., Houston, Oklahoma City, New York, Boston, Philly, and Milwaukee all on fairly even playing field and Toronto. That would be a fun NBA. You put any stock into the rumors that KD might go back to OKC? Mm, a little bit. I, I think at this point it's become very clear that he's going to sign with the Knicks. If you'd have asked me that two months ago, I would have been like, yeah, that would kind of make any sense. But, like, he's moved some of his business operations up there. Like, it seems very clear that he – I think he ends up being a Nick. I'm not sure who comes with him. I don't know if it's Kimball Walker. I don't know if it's Kyrie Irving. But I, I think he ends up being a Nick. I, do, I don't think those the, the buzz that he was going to consider going back to Oklahoma City was completely baseless, though. Yeah, I mean, I think there is something to that because like, OKC is a really good team. I don't think they're good enough to win the title. I think if you add Kevin Durant to the uh, Thunder, they're the best team in the league by far. Um, so, yeah, it, I think you're right. Though. I think KC, yeah, KD winds up in New York. and yeah, That's going to be interesting to follow because we've seen superstars go to New York before and uh, fail. So they're going to have to get him some help or something, uh, you know, with Irving or Bill or – uh, Kimber Walker for sure. And when LeBron left the East, everyone was like, "The East playoffs are going to suck. They're going to be more interesting than the West now." I mean, yeah. Philly's legit. Boston, they're. I don't know what's up with them? I'm they, enjoying it, but I don't know what's up. They with them. don't like each other. They don't like each other. You can tell by the way they play. They, I don't think they necessarily like each other. They don't play well together. They're in trouble. So you now have them, Milwaukee. Toronto and Philly that are all legit. I, I, if you ask me who comes out of the East out of that, I honestly don't know. And that, that you don't really say that often in the NBA. I would say Milwaukee, but it'd be I'd hold my breath. Yeah, because like I don't buy into any of the past Raptors teams because Kawhi Leonard wasn't there. That changes the entire thing. Yeah, I mean you got a lead defender and a really good offensive player when you add him. So should be a fun NBA stretch. It should be fun watching the Lakers teeter. Yes, it'll be a very fun playoffs. And it'll be fun watching the Lakers, you know, try to save this because, like, the, it, it's it's been interesting because the path for them saving it is now much slimmer than the path to it being an abject disaster. Oh, absolutely. I so, mean, they're they're teetering on abject disaster right now. So, good stuff. We'll catch y'all on Wednesday. We thank y'all for listening, and we'll be back at it with some reaction. Ole Miss has two midweek baseball games this week. 
Tuesday and Wednesday. Ole Miss plays Kentucky Tuesday, so plenty to talk about on Tuesday. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you then. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.